dedicated to our favorite movies with boobs and explosions and fire. Yeah, yeah, fire. I'm one of your hosts, Beavis. Yeah, yeah, Beavis. And joining me tonight is my favorite dill hole, Butthead. Yeah, how's it going? God, shut up, asswipe. (laughs) (laughs) Get get to talking about this. Come on. Welcome. Uh, to a, I would bunghole. say a special edition. Welcome, bungholes, to a. I was I was gonna say a special edition, but it's just a normal edition of Midnight Flicks. Uh, but it is a special edition in in the fact that we're we're viewing uh, an animated movie tonight. We've not done any animated movies up to this point. We haven't even done any comedies really. So this is a a real a, one for the books, really. It's true. So we're kind of killing two birds with one stone here. And if you can tell by the introduction, we're doing the Simpsons movie. <laughs> <laughs> we're doing the, yeah, or, uh, or the Aqua Teen Hunger Force movie. Oh my God, they made an Aqua Teen. Oh, Jesus. That's really? Okay. You didn't know that? I never watched that good. show. I didn't even know they made it into a movie. Yeah. I, I loved five seasons of it, I think. And then they, that's right when they turned it into a movie, and the movie's not good. That Which. Not to segue too early, I'm not trying to, but is a testament to tonight's movie that we're talking about because um, in many ways, I feel like this movie was a successful adaptation of a 
animated show into a, a full length uh, theatrical feature. One of the few. Yes. One of the few. And, yeah, absolutely. And, and obviously we're talking about uh, Beavis and 1996's Beavis and Butthead Do America, um, mm-hmm. which was my selection for tonight. And uh, we can we could just segue right into it. I mean, I don't know uh, what else we would dilly dally for. <laughs> just swerve, swerve right into it. Well, um, let's let's get the uh, the general plot uh, summation out of the way um, for this quirky little quirky little romp. Uh, after getting their television set stolen, Beavis and Butthead get mistakenly roped into a. Uh, I guess it would be called like a murder for hire scheme. Um, Beavis gets a biological weapon sewn into his shorts, which then results in a cross country manhunt. Um, as Beavis and Butthead go on a quest to both score and get their TV back. <laughs> I guess yeah. is, the, is the general summation. So they're and on then, a quest to score and get their TV back. And, but all the while, unbeknownst to them, they're getting uh, tracked across America. And, and leaving uh, destruction in their wake as they yes, it's, it's move a, their way f- from Las Vegas back to Washington, D.C. It's uh, an American road movie. If, uh, in, in all, in all aspects, which as you know, one of my favorite kinds of movies, I love a good road movie. And this is one of the better ones. I fucking love, obviously I selected it, but I absolutely fucking love this movie. Um, before we get into the rest of the meat of it though, um, given that summation, what you've seen it, I'm sure number of times what was your reaction uh seeing it again for the purposes of this podcast oh i loved it i actually had watched it fairly recently not like in the super recent in any recent time but i have watched it within the last few years at least but it's yeah it's great i still laughed a lot to it it still holds up and i i was i was i was quite tickled it's i I watch it probably every year so yeah it's something that i watch all the yeah fairly frequently and it it really i I mean it's gonna sound i don't know it's gonna gonna sound contrived maybe but like or or cliche but it really holds up it really Mm -hmm. moves it's still funny and it's nostalgic without being like um without being i don't want to say dated because it is dated in in some aspects but it's nostalgic without being like looking back on something that is embarrassing like in retrospect it's actually still fucking irreverent which is hard to do with as time goes by especially when it's a anything from the 90s yes man absolutely Absolutely. The 90s can really suck when you view them through a present lens in a yes. lot of ways. Yeah, it's so, it's it's a tough ask, uh, especially for something as as dumb conceptually as this. But uh, I'm a huge and I speak for probably both of us, huge Mike Judge fan. And this is like his baby. And this, the thing that to this day he's still the proudest of. And uh, it still kind of rears its head in different incarnations. Um, And it's it was transcendent then. And I feel like it still serves a purpose now, which is which is crazy. 
Well, and there is one thing I will give to the 90s, if I'm going to give credit uh, where credit's due, um, is because, you know, I grew up through the 90s. I'm like an 80s, 90s dude. Um, and being into metal and stuff like that, obviously, Beavis and Butthead, like, Chuck checked off a lot of boxes. But I will say one thing for sure, that I feel like the 90s actually was a birthplace for a lot of comedy animation stuff that was not Beavis and Butthead wasn't, but there was definitely uh, cartoons that were geared more towards, I think kids, but had an elevated uh, sense of humor to them that I still feel holds up. So this is kind of in that category. It's, it's clearly more lean. It's, it's geared more towards teenagers and adults than it is children, obviously. But like Animaniacs is another example of that for for me. Like I love the Animaniacs even into my adult years. I mean, I still do because and I watched it when I was a teenager because it had really funny, irreverent jokes that, you know, I feel like a lot of kids wouldn't get. So that's one thing I will say about the 90s. It did it did it did spawn a lot of animated series and cartoons. Ren and Stimpy, another one that hold up over the years because you know, they, uh, they're the, the humor and it has multi layers to it. So, yeah. And I think South Park pulls from Beavis and Brighthead right. a lot specifically because it's a show that's like in really vulgar, a vulgarness that appeals to a preteen almost exclusively like that. They find it the, the funniest, <laughs> but then can yeah, also me go ahead. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say for me, uh, you know, and I'm sure I can speak for both of us to to a certain extent. I would say you're the more adult of the two of us because you're a dad. But <laughs> I mean, me as a person, as far as my interests and my sense of humor and all that really isn't really dramatically different from when I was a kid and teenager. So no, well, boys mature <laughs> at a fucking snail's pace. So yeah, that's why it's, we're still talking about it. That's why it's an episode, but, um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't know if you have like a Beavis and Butthead story, but my Beavis and Butthead story is around the time this was a show. I was probably like 10 cause it's like 93 to 98 was like the bulk of this show. 93 to 97, 98. And, um, I would say in the, in the, at the height of it, I was around 10. And this is the show that my, my older brother would wake me up out of bed and make, and make me come downstairs to watch it. And then my dad would come downstairs and fucking yell at me for being up and watching it. And I'm like, (laughs) I didn't even want to fucking get out of bed. Like, what the fuck? (laughs) That's like my brother dragged me downstairs to watch it. So I have, uh, I have nostalgic memories of watching it in like, like on a very, at a very low volume in complete darkness with like my brother in like, in like a hushed room because we weren't supposed to be like watching it necessarily, but he was older. So my dad wasn't as mad at, at him being exposed to it as, as a 10 year old. But it, it's funny that parents think that those kinds of things will, will rub off negatively on, on somebody, you know? Yeah. Well, for me, it was showing in its, you know, first run when I was basically a Beavis and Butthead. I was a 13, 14 year old Hesher, played in like shitty metal bands, and I did all kinds of nefarious things. So, it's you know, that's you. why. 
yeah, it, it, uh, me and my uh, my old bandmate Eric in particular, uh, we loved it. We'd hang out at his place and watch it, and we always, you know, would quote it and mimic it, and you know, so yeah, it spoke to me in a different way. Where it was like, it was like, oh, these are like my friends, you know, this is how yeah. I am. These <laughs> so I definitely was younger, so it, it came off more to me as like provocative. Like I knew I shouldn't be watching it. Like yeah. there's, it was exposing me to terms and words and and ideology that I probably was never exposed to up up to that point. So I did very very much feel like. It was taboo. It was taboo, but at the same rate, I like couldn't look away and also didn't get like half the jokes. So like, <laughs> I don't know. It's a strange mix, but definitely yeah. loved it right away. Yeah. Yeah. And I was, I was also kind of a latchkey kid, uh, that didn't heed, uh, any of their parents, you know, whatever admonitions or any sort of like, discipline that because i lived with my mom at the time any sort of disciplinary action my mom tried to impose on me was generally rebuked (laughs) (laughs) i just like she would say something i'd be like what the fuck ever and i would just do whatever you know whatever i wanted to essentially so it was prime it was a prime era for that type of stuff prime time oh yeah prime time for that that show to be happening in my life so yeah well okay um if we're getting to get into the numbers here real quick, uh, hugely successful. Mm-hmm. Um, it opened in North America on December 20th, 1996, which is beautiful. I love the idea of this being a Christmas movie. Um, <laughs> it earned $63.1 million at the U.S. box office after opening at number one with $20.1 million, And it only had a $12 million budget, uh, obviously because it's animated. Um it broke the box office record for an opening weekend um, until Scream 2 came along in, in 1997, uh, which was probably the summer of 97. Uh, Following, yeah, later that year. So it had broken the box office record for an opening weekend, actually, up to that point. Um, and then in terms of reception, it's it's actually crazy like how much this was received by all all people really <laughs> like yeah. Siskel and Ebert gave it two thumbs up. Roger Ebert himself gave it three out of four stars. Uh, I pulled a quote. He just said, why is this movie so much fun? <laughs> I <don't know. laughs> so I don't know. Right. Even the, even the stuffy, even the stuffy critics of, of various publications uh, found some enjoyment out of this, which is, which is crazy. Cause this is a movie that if, if, if there ever was one to be lambasted, uh, and and seen as something with no redeeming value whatsoever, you'd think this one would be the one that would be served up. Uh, but I think people just fucking had fun. I don't, for for what it's worth, there's definitely negative reviews out there by fucking just idiots. But, you know, for the most part, it people was, fucking loved it. It was during that the freewheeling prime Clinton years where everybody in this country that was white particularly was like having a good old time. So maybe that that's, you know, fed, that just probably fed into it as well. Yeah. Just hit the spot. Nobody, nobody wanted serious movies. They wanted the fun stuff. And that's yeah. why a lot of the nineties, I feel like can be pretty, especially stuff that came out of the U S can be pretty vapid. 
because, you know, we were like, we had this insulated kind of, uh, you know, bubble around us where we just thought this was, we were the greatest country. This is proof, you know, the, the, the good times were never going to end. So whatever. Pre nine 11, we were still soaring, baby. Our exactly. we bald eagle just soaring. <laughs> nothing, yep. nothing can <laughs> Nothing bad could possibly go wrong. <laughs> so, yeah, that yeah. probably had something to do with our cultural identity in uh, December of 1996, uh, to be to be true. But, yeah, I think people were just uh, in a better mood <laughs> in general, probably. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, this got received um, fairly well. If uh, we have no other points of order, um, shall we get into the good, the bad, and the questionable? Yeah, I did want to point out really yeah, quick, though, yes, that, uh, so far this scene, uh, this scene, this episode, uh, god damn it, take three. This <laughs> season is our most 90s heavy in terms of content, I feel I like. Really, I didn't really think about uh, that, but... Um, all, all, all the ones you picked are all 90s movies. Wow. Didn't even, didn't yeah. even do that on purpose. You're right, though. We, Absolutely. We've even had our most recent historically recent movie um deep blue sea is the uh, most recent deep blue sea deep blue sea dead alive and this yeah Yeah, we haven't cracked the 2000s yet but yeah i have one on my list that will uh so we will this season um but that's an interesting point of order and uh I like it. I don't know what to think of that other than I didn't do it on purpose. <laughs> Maybe it's because you're just vibing with the general chutzpah of how things are going. We're, we're, we've been in that cycle in terms of repeating the 20, 25 year cycle of history. You know, so like the 90s, I don't know. Possibly. Or maybe pure fucking happenstance. <laughs> yes, more than likely. Anyways, so, than likely. sorry to interrupt, but yes, let us uh, let us continue forward, my friend. The good, the bad, and the questionable. touched upon this at the beginning, but it uh, bears repeating. This truly is one of the rare instances of a television show making the leap uh, to the big screen and pulling it off successfully. Not just animated, too. I mean, we got two X-Files movies, uh, and we got about half of a good movie out of those two. <laughs> right. The, the Simpsons movie is just a, a classic case of too little, too late. They waited. They sat on it just way too long. They let all the good writers leave and then uh, they didn't even make it at the height of the Simpsons power. Uh, so yeah. the, the Simpsons movie was, is serviceable, but nowhere near what it could have been. And we have a cavalcade of TV shows that have just become movies. I mean, big, big fucking movies like transformers, like transformers mm-hmm. can suck my ass. I mean, that, that shit sucks, but uh, you know, this ne- is never a, watched a single one of them. I I don't know why. Well, probably because I have a <laughs> a now fifteen year old, but at the time that was his shit. Just Michael Bay, big yeah. dick uh, transformer, Michael Bay shit. 
<laughs> was all was all the rage when you know five years ago. But yeah, like this is a a very good example of something that not only made the jump, but didn't lose any steam in in making the jump too. It didn't it didn't feel like a cash grab. It 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 was just it's just great. It's just great. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of that is attestable to the fact that it is a Mike Judge production because in terms of what he's put out and just what I know of him as a person, he he just in general seems like a pretty good dude. Like he's he's got integrity, you know, he's stuck to his vision and hasn't really compromised it and he, he's generally put out quality entertainment um so that's how i feel like you know he's not you know he he, although he was trying to obviously make successful things he just had that he just knew how to create successful entertainment on his own terms yeah he's just one of those rarities i think you know he's also a very private person like interviews with him are like years apart like you just don't get Mm -hmm. interviews with him he's very private he just kind of comes up with this shit that he thinks is funny and his close circle of friends think are funny. And, you know, he's just been knocking it out of the park uh, basically since the inception of Beavis and Butthead because we haven't talked about it. But, yeah, I guess Mike Judge would be in the good. Just the mind of Mike mm-hmm. Judge and and what yeah. the success of this has spawned, uh, King of the Hill – uh, office space, uh, you know, just everything that has that has come since is just great. He just it, idiocracy, you know. He just mm-hmm. he does his own thing, and that's such a rarity in Hollywood. Someone that's like uncompromising with their ideas and and what their vision is, and is just super private. So whenever they come out to do something, he's he's still respected and can successfully kind of bridge that gap between like elitist Hollywood and kind of like everyday man shit. I don't know. Like, if that makes sense, but he, yeah, he's one of the good ones I should say. Yeah. He just has with all of his movies been able to really successfully give a, uh, an insightful humorous critique on American society on us society that a lot of people can relate to without necessarily revealing where he he is on the political compass. You know what I mean? And I think that's where he gets a lot of respect because like, as far as I know, he's kind of libertarian ish or whatever. So, and that like can throw people off, but like, that's the thing he does because he doesn't reveal too much of himself and he does do what he does. Like he, he can attract a lot of people that can be like, you know, like into what he, you know, what he's trying to say. And a lot, you know, obviously some of it gets misinterpreted from where I'm coming from, but like, you know, he does a, he does a generally pretty spot on job of, you know, pointing out the absurdities and irritations of, you know, having to live in this country and having to to deal with like, you know, what we're basically forced to do and brainwashed to think to survive and exist in this country. So, yeah. And that's been many a a point of contention with him is lots of, lots of different political sides of the spectrum, like to kind of uh, just pick, pick 
shit out of different variations of his shit that uh, are, are kind of within their own ideals and use it as a point to be like, this is like a, like Mike Judge is, is sending up liberals. Like, so it's a concern. He's a conservative right. person. And it's a conservative show. Like Van Dreesen is like the height of like hippie liberal, like teacher shit. And, uh, but he sends off both sides of the spectrum and in yeah. equal ridiculousness. And there's no, there's no stance to be made that he's fucking, you know, some like right wing nut job that's like personally has a slant against liberalism when in King of the Hill, it, it it's an equal opportunity show in terms of like everyone gets their comeuppance in his world. Right. And that's why I appreciate it, because that's kind of how I view things. You know, all these people that he's going for or these different sides of the spectrum all deserve to be lambasted in their own way. Yes. <laughs> you know? yeah. And I feel like he does a fair job. That's a hard thing to toe the line of, because if you do too much in one way or too much in the other, you do start being like the poster boy for stupid bullshit. And I think he's done a great job over the course of 30 plus years of towing that line to never to never really reveal you know any sort of political leaning especially when you're dealing with this sort of social commentary that's hard to do but um yeah this is a roundabout it, way of both of us saying he's in the mike judge is in the good right yeah and he's just he's multi-talented you know he's he's the thing is with people like that that can do a variety of things that can more holistically deliver their vision you know so it's like he's a musician and he is you know, he's a cinematographer and he's a, you know, a writer and director and, you know, has dabbled in, you know, and all these different things. So he's able to like, you know, fully realize what he wants. So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well said. Um, the, another good, the animation in this is true to like the show's kind of crude animation style, but <laughs> It also has like really cool experimentation thrown in, like the hallucination scene. I love um, it so much. Which is, unfortunately, uh, we have to give props based off of Rob Zombie, uh, (laughs) like Rob Zombie artwork. But and obviously there's a white zombie song playing throughout the hallucination scene. But uh, really fucking, really fucking cool. And has not since ever been duplicated. Like there's not really an animation style in that same vein, but I fucking love the Beavis and Butthead animation style. And this movie uses a lot of, it uses it's the, the, the money that it's being thrown at to that's being thrown at the movie to really explore the edges of that artistic shit, which I love, I love all the animation in this. Yeah, that that scene is so great because it was able to seamlessly merge the different styles, the Rob Zombie style with, you know, the the original aesthetic of of the show. And, you know, I have to give an aside because, you know, you hinted at it that Rob Zombie himself, we've talked enough shit about him and he's in my bad, but. I give exception to certain eras of Rob Zombie because up until he went solo and decided to become the worst director ever, I loved his shit. I loved his art. I loved White Zombie. You know, it was like 
that was my dude. And then that's why I, he makes me so mad. And I fucking hate him is because he just sucks so bad. Like now. <laughs> so, you know, if I'm looking at it through that lens of watching into the nineties, I was like, yeah, I was all about it. And it, it works great. He, he does a super good job of being able to, you know, put his shit in there and make it look distinctly like his, but be in a different vehicle. So it's the height of good Rob zombie. It's a white right. zombie era, Rob zombie. <laughs> yeah. Which I'm but all yeah, right. That, that's, that's the most killer part of the movie. It, it's it, aesthetically. And from an animation standpoint, um, but also like, I love the, uh, I love the stylistic, like, 70s uh 70s intro that it has yeah. um like you know that that that's sort of stylistically something that they always kind of did was putting beavis and butthead in different eras in different decades um you know and i i thought that was that that was a cool part of it too but th- you know they, they're not afraid to explore kind of the the vast the vastness that they had yeah, that was that was in my good as well. I like the different cultural references that are that are represented in this movie. Like right up top, there's the references to Godzilla and monster movies, but also to me, yeah. I don't know how intentional it was on Mike Judge's part, but that whole beginnings that intro is a reference to to, um, to me to the the game. Oh, doggy. To the to the video game uh, rampage. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's Hold immediately on, I what I thought a, of. A fucking three year old. I've got a hundred year old dog. Critters running wild. Be right back. All right. TV timeout, okay. folks. Anyways, so we're back. Uh, Pat had a uh, family crisis to deal with. It almost, uh, yeah, it almost uh, ruined the show completely. We almost had to actually just cancel like right here in the middle of an episode. But I got gave my dog up for adoption and my three year old up for adoption as well. Now, Good so. because, because I'm no sorry, no offense, but fuck kids. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. So after this, I won't have. Well, you know, I'll have a step. You don't have to worry about it anymore. I guess I could kill him. But yeah, no, 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 but on the real, Pat's kid is actually really cute and adorable. So um, I would hate for that to happen. She's a little Beavis. We're back, Uh, and (laughs) anyway, so what I was talking about before all this shit happened, I think we'll still pick up a little bit of back to back to talking about how I feel like that. That intro is a homage to the game Rampage. At least it is in my mind because I love that game. And, you know, it's just Beavis and Butthead are these Godzilla type characters 
trampling through the town and wreaking havoc and I love the whole part where he smashes into the window and grabs the lady out of the office and, you know, says, Hey baby, I just, I lose it whenever I see that. But yeah, so there's that. There's obviously the reference to shaft. So there's like good cultural like references and mashups like that are peppered throughout the whole movie. But yeah, that's definitely, definitely in the good. Another thing that I brought up off the top was, uh, this is just like a, great road movie like in the same vein as like Wee's big adventure or tommy boy or dumb dumb and dumber yeah. brothers whatever the fuck lots of like road comedy movies and th- this is this is up there in terms of uh in terms of a road american road movie um mm-hmm. and also the soundtrack is is dope it's a fucking it's a really tight soundtrack with yeah. Like even embarrassing bands like Red Hot Chili Peppers are like bringing like <laughs> like okay tracks I guess, but like yeah. overall it's a good soundtrack. Again, it's it's very quintessentially '90s where it's it's, it's a an eclectic very 90s soundtrack. Soundtrack, yeah, yeah, very, <laughs> very much so. I feel like this is the kind of soundtrack that like like is that on vinyl at like an urban outfitters now like <laughs> yes absolutely serving uh being served up as like pure retro nostalgia uh um and casting this this movie knocks it out of the park in terms of voice casting i mean you've got bruce willis and demi moore who were at the height of their marriage powers at the time uh cloris leachman's fucking bringing it fucking robert <laughs> stack robert uh, uh <laughs> unsolved mysteries stack is bringing it absolutely yeah it's like the most iconic voice and such a perfect role for him even though he kind of regrets doing this movie but um and there's like you know cameos out the wazoo like david letterman and you know all sorts of fucking different people it's a it's a great 90s voice cast yeah, David Letterman, Greg Kinnear, uh, Eric Bogosian. Yeah. Um, yeah, and the thing is, too, honestly, I totally forgot that Bruce Willis and Demi Moore were in this because, you know, you can't really tell by their voices in the movie that it's them, especially with Bruce Willis. Like, he's he's affected his voice enough that you can't really tell off the bat. But Robert Stack, man, he, he has such a distinct voice. It doesn't matter what he's doing you hear it and you know that that's the unsolved mysteries guy for a lot of us <laughs> yeah he didn't yeah i feel like my judge thought it was just without any do, doing any research or reading anything I, th- I just think he thought it was endlessly hilarious that they landed robert stack and that he agreed <laughs> to like do this movie for some reason and yeah. he, agent fleming is low-key the funniest doing like the most fucking uh straight man funny work where like yeah. none of his shit is jokes but yet it's all funny like the, <laughs> the cavity searches like deep and hard like all the like all the cavity search shit is so so good it, yeah and it, unlike demi moore that you know they play dallas and muddy like bruce willis does an excellent job of throwing his voice to you know, you wouldn't recognize him whatsoever. And it's so right. funny that they are both in this movie, but even like Richard, Richard Linklater, it like, guess yeah. like just there's people that came out of the woodworks to just be like, I want to have a voice 
in in this in this movie. It's 1996. You know, <laughs> yeah. We just we just got done doing a bunch of cocaine about 10 years earlier. Now we're like a little more chill <laughs> and vibes are good in America. You can buy a fucking house and raise a family on one income. We're just living the life. Which, I got a voice. I would say that was the, the last decade really where you could do that. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was, well, yeah. we didn't think it would ever end. The good yeah. times were surely to keep rolling. Right. Yep. <laughs> I don't like the theme of this episode where it's impending doom, which is per- perpetrated by both of us. When this movie isn't, isn't perpetrating it. We are with our, uh, constant, uh, we're looking back and wishing we were back in 1996. <laughs> <Just> well, <laughs> luckily for me, I've never had hope. I didn't in the nineties and I don't now. So <laughs> in the nineties, I didn't know in the nineties. I was, those are my childhood. Those are my child rearing years. Not I, yeah. well, I was being reared. I wasn't rearing anybody. My dad mm-hmm. was rearing me. And See, I was, <laughs> I was a teenager to a young adult. And I, from the, from the beginning of the nineties onward was kind of a shithead and knew that I was destined for <laughs> destined for a, a, a depressing life. So I guess that's why it didn't matter. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, you're more like Edward Furlong in, um, in T2. Uh, Which, and I'm more like a young Leonardo DiCaprio. Absolutely. And it, it's funny that you mentioned that because last night we had guests over and T2 got mentioned about how, that was a movie that, you know, would make people cry because of the ending, because you, you know, you develop such a affinity for the Terminator, the Arnie Terminator. And it, mm-hmm. you get so bummed when you see him descending into the uh, yeah, molten fucking lava. But um, it also made me think about Ed Furlong's character in that I wanted to be him. I, I wore the, the army fatigue shirt. and the public enemy shirt. I had all that shit. That was like my dude. Yeah, man. And the idea of like going up to uh, an ATM and just like, like <laughs> computer I hacking. It. I don't know why computer hacking was at its height in 90s, in the 90s. Maybe it because really was. we didn't like fully understand, grasp the technology behind it. So you could get away with real bullshit, like espionage shit. But like the idea of him putting in like a fake debit card that's like connected to a, the shittiest laptop of all time. And <laughs> and like withdrawing money illegally, like you were just you just bought it hook, line, and sinker. You're like, man, the future is Absolutely. fucking now. And then they just wasted <laughs> it on, uh, you know, pizza and arcade games. It's like, god damn, am I living my best life? Right. <laughs> but but we should save T two good for the the T two podcast that we're never going to do because it doesn't technically yeah. qualify as a midnight flick, but. Um, what other good do you have? Um, I mean, I feel like we've touched up upon it as far that as that was all my good. So, if there was any, I just wanted to let you have the floor if you had any more good. Yeah, I mean, I pretty much I'm I'm in sync with you on this. Uh, any of the overarching goods? Um, well, I also just wanted to say because you kind of touched upon it, I just want to reemphasize it. The story, the pacing, it holds up very well. It's it's 
You know, there's not like a lot of even for an animated, goofy, fun film, you know, it it flows very well. There's not like a lot of, you know, what the fuck? And this should, you know, you enjoy it. Follow along with it for the whole thing. So, yeah. And I'll say that, um, I'll say that the replay value is through the roof. It's just like endlessly replayable. Um, I just, you know, I, I, I gain just as much, uh, humor and enjoyment out of it now as I did, you know, unabashedly then and now. So, it, it just the replay values through the roof. And I was as I was watching it last night. My favorite, my favorite kind of butthead ism is when he when he's when when he talks in like this voice, like when he does that. <laughs> yeah. whatever, whatever he's saying oh, is so fucking funny. And when the TV gets <laughs> stolen at the beginning of the movie, and he's like, "This is the worst thing to have ever happened," or whatever he's literally like, "This is the worst thing that's ever happened." <laughs> or this that, this is the coolest shit. thing that's ever happened to me. Yeah, this is the coolest thing of all time. Yeah, whenever he does that <laughs> voice, I fucking lose it. When he said, uh, "This is the worst thing that's ever happened," I lost my mind, and my wife was like, <laughs> "You are ten years old." I was like, "Yeah, <laughs> then and now, and it was funny then, and it's fucking funny now." <laughs> <laughs> it's yeah. true though i can't understate that it's still funny i still find it endlessly fucking hilarious <laughs> yep okay yeah so i think that's it let's move into the bad um i i struggled to come up with some bad and then i came up with some bad that okay. it, it's a tough movie to to, re- to really rail against because it's right. already like kind of satirical in nature so it's 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 tough to really pin any bad against it, but I think two things. One, uh, the choice to include the Clintons in this movie forever kind of dates it as a yes. sort of time capsule piece. They could have made the decision to have like a fake president and like you know imaginary president or whatever, and they would this movie would hold forever as as perpetually just like out of time, but. The Clinton stuff definitely dates it. And, you know, I'm not putting that in here as bad necessarily, um, but it is so 90s because of it, especially the Chelsea Clinton bit. Like, it, yeah. I don't even understand anybody that's younger than us even understanding the Chelsea Clinton stuff. Like, hey, baby, like he's got like they've got <laughs> braces together. Like I like I think it's fucking fucking hilarious. But like I could see why that would date the movie a little bit. Yeah, I, I kind of agree with you on that too, and just also because I hate I fucking hate Bill Clinton. So <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's funny so to me because he he you know he's such a ridiculous person you know, and he was a ridiculous fucking president. So it is funny to see him and think like I do when I watch '90s comedies that that you know take the piss out of Bill Clinton. I I do find it funny. But I also find him to be a pretty reprehensible fucking individual. So <laughs> that's why I hate seeing him and shit. It's yeah. a tough ask. It's a tough ask yeah. for sure. The second <laughs> thing is, and then I I wasn't going to say this, and then I decided to anyway because I didn't want to harsh the, the mellow here. But um, if Gen Z ever gets a hold of this fucking movie, it's as good as canceled. Or if they ever get a hold of Beavis and Butthead outside of like this – this repurposing of the show that's part of like their overall nineties retro aesthetic 
like them wearing mm-hmm. these and butthead sweatshirts and stuff again that they buy at like urban outfitters or whatever like outside of that connection to the show if they were to ever actually watch Beavis and butthead i feel like this is on the list of cancel culture shit and is that bad no like I'm I'm behind the this reappraisal of portrayals in our collective society that have gone like unchecked for too long, and I'm all about uh, reappraising things that have just maybe we maybe we just took for granted. Um, but there's a general yeah. vague misogynistic homophobic objectification of women that goes along with. Sure this kind of humor. And I guess I, I wanted to throw that, just throw that up there. I, I myself don't as a male, white male in his mid thirties, find no, no offense, take no offense with this kind of irreverent humor, but I could see why it would be on the list of cancel culture shit. Yeah, for sure. And that's the thing, you know, when, all these things from the past, the the further they get removed from the context that they were in, the cultural context they were in, the the further it is lay, lay, they're laid open to attack by people giving it a different you know appraisal. As you said, that's why these things happen. Like right now, that's why there's the the Doctor Seuss thing and and the the Space Jam thing and all these things that. You know, there's certain people that, depending on, you know, what flank they are politically, that take more umbrage about it and can't find, they can't detach themselves from their own connection to it. And they are firmly planted within the context that it was created to accept that other people would find it offensive. And that's the issue that's happening here with all these things. Like, you know, that... Like I, I, I personally, I can be of a dual mind of these things with a, with a lot of it. I, I can still think it's funny and appreciate it, but I can see why people now probably aren't into it. And it, it really, it also depends on where they're coming from, like what place they're coming from. Like if it's a bad faith sort of uh, <clears throat> attack on certain things, just to virtue signal or whatever, then I'm not into it. But if there's a legit reason why, you know, like okay, Pepe Le Pew should not be i get it should not be <laughs> maybe in considered you know a, a, a lovable character you know in you know in a modern context because he raped he tried to rape a cat <laughs> you know he tried mm-hmm. to rape a female you know character continually over and over again so i can see where people would see like that sends a bad message <laughs> so whatever you. yeah you know, I mean, I'm the Dr. Seuss thing. I'm, I'm like not fully on board with that. But again, I'm like, whatever. Uh, and then the Lola titties thing. I'm like, that's just ridiculous to me. <laughs> when I prefer my Lola bunny to be fuckable. Not yeah, like, I, I want I wanted to have some fat titties. Come on. Yeah, some fat fur titties. <laughs> so, yeah, right. Yeah, that could be considered bad. And, and, and I'm not necessarily arguing that. Yeah, some of this it, it does it does not age well, but whatever. I'm still <laughs> fucking hilarious. It's still fucking funny. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, it's just the same thing with any sort of comedy where, like, I'll still watch Dave Chappelle and think it's hilarious, and know that there's it, a lot of it doesn't age very well right now. Or any of these comedians that have been 
you know, kind of targeted over the years for not punching up anymore or their comedy doesn't punch up anymore. You know, whatever. There's stuff that there's David Cross bits that definitely, you know, if he said any of it now would get him fuck fucking just wasted. Yeah, but I still I still think it's funny. I'll listen to it. And I'll think it's hilarious. So, yeah. Anyways. Well, well, generationally, we're stuck in the middle, I think, where we right. understand we re, we understand the the cancel culture. But, you know, we're also, yeah, like you said, like there's a dual appreciation for why it would be reappraised and also still finding entertainment in it. So it's just, yeah. A case-by-case basis. It just goes to a deeper issue for me where, you know, as far as the the ills of society that people are trying to, you know, talk about are being perpetuated, you know, maybe at, you know, you know, with the blame being securely pointed upon the way people talk or sense of humor to me, there's a large, there's a larger issue at hand. There's a material reason for it that needs to be addressed more than just somebody making a joke. So that's why I always like, I'm like, I don't necessarily like, you know, have as much of a dog in the hunt, but I'm also like you, I'm a straight white guy. So, you know, what I have, <laughs> you know, there's only so much I can say, you know, anyway, specifically like the joke, I don't want to go too much on that tangent. No, I know the, the, the joke where, uh, uh, the joke where she's like, um, I'll pay you double to go back and do him. And Beavis is like, you want us to go do it, right. dude. <laughs> that right. shit. Still, still funny. I still think it's, it's, still, it's hilarious. hilarious. But no, <laughs> like Beavis and Bennett are like reprehensible individuals. They're antiheroes. Like they're yes. reprehensible. But like you cheer for them. And then this is something that I disagreed with, with Ebert in Ebert's review. He was, he talks about how like they're reprehensible and, and you cheer against them. And I thought in no way, in no context, does that make, uh, that this show and this movie could not propel itself based upon a fact that you, the two main characters, you, you can't cheer against the, the two. You have to find, some level of lovable qualities and they are like lovable idiots and they're reprehensible and they're just so two dimensional, like in, in their line of thinking. But at the end of the day, I want them to score. I want them. I like, I want them to get their TV back. If they, if you Mm -hmm. didn't, it's the whole precipice of, and the whole concept of the show doesn't make sense. So, you know, it's, yeah, whatever. I don't want to belabor or psychoanalyze this. It's just supposed to be fun, but (laughs) yeah, Yeah. I fully agree with you. They are the heroes of, of, of the movie and the show and you do sympathize with them to whatever, you know, to whatever extent. You have to, otherwise it wouldn't work. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Um, any more bad from you? No. I didn't really have a lot of bad either, so I'm glad you were able to point out some things. But those, if I did have bad, those those were it, what you said. Questionable. Did you come up with any questions while you were watching? Well, I just had like an over, like an art, an overarching question that, that has to deal with the Beavis and Butthead universe in general. That oh, yeah. Shoot. I thought about, I just want to, maybe this got answered at some point during the series and I might have missed it because I know there's a lot of the series that I, I, 
personally didn't get to see. Um, I just want to know, like, where where are their mothers? Because obviously in this movie, we meet the fathers and we we get the backstory about their dad. So we know why the dads are absent. But, yeah, that's the thing. Again, they are these quintessential latchkey kids where there's no parental figure ever uh, in their life. <laughs> so I was just trying to do like a, uh, you know, a thought experiment about where, where are Beavis and Butthead's mothers? There's where, almost where, a mythic quality to it. I mean, obviously yeah. their mothers were <laughs> sluts from Highland right. um, that fucked Motley Crue roadies. <laughs> so yeah. like, I mean, that's all, that's all the, the backstory we get, but I, I, you know, there's, there's, there's parts where they're like, like my life is flashing before my eyes and they show uh, Beavis and Butthead as infants on the couch and then they grow <laughs> on the couch together. <laughs> yeah. um, that's in the show. Like I, I vividly remember them doing that bit where yeah. they're, he's talking about like his life flashing before his eyes or, or whatever. And then him growing up and, I, I think it's 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 purposefully like mythical like these two idiots only have each other and i think that it's also part of the 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 quality that makes them like endearing quality about them they only have each other they have no they're they're not even brothers they're like yeah just they were <laughs> they were raised almost in a in the same sense as like a freddy krueger like freddy krueger was birthed of a nun being raped by a hundred fucking insane asylum inmates. Like they were, <laughs> yeah. they were, they were almost, uh, they were almost just birthed of, of ill means and only have each right. other because of it. Yeah. But yeah, that's obviously uh, a mythical question that, that presents itself whenever you're watching it. Well, but now that I was just talking about that, I did think about, there was a question I had raised in uh, relationship to, that it, in the movie, when they meet the roadies, the butthead dad, the theoretical butthead dad, he says he he did two chicks at the same time. And then the Beavis, what you would think this Beavis dad didn't get laid at all. So does that, <laughs> you know, well, I so think that is a question is. <laughs> yeah, I, I took that as be, butthead, whatever there's like. Whenever there's a chance to score, Butthead's like, no, I'm going to go first. Beavis, like, Butthead is always, uh, Butthead takes, like, the leadership role between the two of them. And is yeah. also, like, exagger- the more exaggerated one in terms of, like, yeah, and then I scored, and it was good. <laughs> like, right. he takes the role of, like, uh, revisionist history. And I could see the dad being like, yeah, and then I, and then I scored with both of them. Beavis watched, <laughs> but like in reality, <laughs> Beavis scored too. But but Butthead is almost like the bully of the two, and bullies yes. Beavis into this friendship. So I took that as just like a manifestation of what they are to be when they grow up, which is still glad palling around, and Butthead is still in charge and kind of like making shit up about their own mythos. <laughs> yeah, Butthead has always clearly been the alpha of the two. Yeah, so. For yeah. sure. But there you go. So that was like a main question I had. That's a good one. <laughs> the, mine, my question was more like questionable decision making and 
I just, I would have loved to see like Stewart or Coach Buzzcut or Todd or like the Burger World, like where they mm-hmm. work, like the Burger World manager, just seeing them at work or the Maxi Mart. Um, I would, or, or them, maybe it, the movie could have opened with them watching like a music video, you know? Yeah. Didn't, it's funny. It's a movie in which we, you actually do not get the cornerstones of the Beavis and Butthead world, which makes it even more impressive that they pulled this off because you don't get, I mean, you get Van Dreesen a little bit, but you don't get Coach Buzzcut. You don't get Todd or Stewart or the burger, you know, you don't get where they work or any, any, anything that makes up their world. Because you get the principle. The, yeah. Too. Yeah. You do get the principle because the movie is, they're set on a course across America early and they don't have really the time to go into that kind of shit, but it would have been mm. nice to have like one super nostalgic, like music video, MST 3000 send up, you know? Yeah. <laughs> whatever but that that's a nitpick more than a questionable thing like it i just question i guess where where they drew the line in terms of what they wanted to include and not include yeah so that's my only questionable yeah um shall we move on to our uh awards and categories section then please do uh my friend <laughs> Here you are. Hey, Beaver. <laughs> she touched my butt. <laughs> Hello there. Are you two heading for Las Vegas? Yeah. We're gonna score. <laughs> oh, well, I hope to score big there myself. I'm mostly gonna be doing the slots. Yeah, I'm hoping to do some sluts too. Yeah. <laughs> They have a lot of sluts in Las Vegas. Oh, there's so many sluts who won't know where to begin. Whoa. <laughs> he put it, this chick is pretty cool. <laughs> she says there's going to be tons of sluts in Las Vegas. Cool. <laughs> it's so nice to meet young men who are so well-mannered. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to have money and a big screen TV, and there's going to be sluts everywhere. <laughs> it's going to roll. In what stands to be the most bloated quotes uh, episode of all time, (laughs) I don't even know where to start. Um, (laughs) Just too much, too much to even fucking. Do you you have quotes? I I don't even know. I'm flummoxed. Yeah, I mean, I first. I I mean, I tried to, you know, just keep a short list of, you know, with this, but. Right off the top, I love the interaction they have with Van Dreesen where, you know, he's chastising them about taking the TV and, you know, he says, blah, blah, blah. We shouldn't need TV, television to entertain us. And he just says, you said anus. <laughs> and he's like, did you hear a single word? I said, yeah, anus. <laughs> That's so good. In the, in the same vein of a, you said, I love when they crash into the cockpit of the airplane. He's like, get out of the cockpit. But it's like, you said, and they don't finish the joke, which is so smart. It's that's another one of the, you said, uh, joke lineage that that's another fucking killer one. I love that one. Yeah. Uh, I also really like the interaction that, um, um, the ATF director, Robert stack, whatever his name is, is having that interaction. Fleming agent Fleming. 
with <laughs> with uh the other with uh what is it uh borker i don't know it's yeah, one of the great agent, agent bork and agent fleming <laughs> that's what it is agent bork and agent bork is saying you know trying to explain to him that these were the kids that got caught uh, in his tool shed whacking off in and Agent Fleming's like, you're a you're an employee of the United States government. Don't ever end your sentences with a preposition. You know, and then he keeps trying to restate it but he can't do it without leaving the preposition at the end. But then he settles on, you know, that guy in whose camper they, I, uh, that guy <laughs> yeah. off in whose camper they were whacking. It's so that good. One, that one is incredible. One of the, <laughs> one of the low key ones that I love that's just like kind of a, kind of a total one off is, uh, when they're, when they're at the, when they're at the geyser, the guy, the, the ranger at Old Faithful is like, the geyser shoots out about five thousand gallons, and he was just like low key says, ah, "That's not that much, really." <laughs> <laughs> I, I love that line so much. There's so many good ones. Um, oh, this is, oh, also, I want to say. Uh, well, I guess I don't know if I should just leave this for good scene, bad scene, but there's the, uh, <laughs> when they meet the old lady on the plane and there's the, ex- the exchange about the slots and the sluts. All the old lady stuff. Holy shit. It's, All the old lady yeah. stuff. But yeah, yeah. Go, go ahead. The the slots, well, sluts that, stuff is so good. Yeah. I'm, I'm not going to repeat it, but yes, it's just like, you know, it's just like, uh, there's so many sluts and it's like do you hear this there's all these sluts and yeah <laughs> hey did you I hear? love it this lady said there's a bunch of sluts in las vegas whoa cool i like that he's yeah. like this lady's pretty cool <laughs> right <laughs> and then later they play on that joke because they get back on the bus and uh they talk to the old lady again and they're like ah oh, yeah we didn't score and the old lady's like well as for me oh i took a beating <laughs> i love that line <laughs> She says, I took a beating. The reading of that line is so fucking good. Oh, my God. And then when, um, when Beavis starts freaking out about not scoring, and he's just like, I bet this old man's even scored a million times. And he's like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. He's like, yeah, that's right. Oh, my God. Um, a historical reference quote that I looked up. Uh, the old lady says, "Yoo-hoo, Travis and Bob had," which is a fucking hilarious line, which is actually <laughs> intrinsic to the show. Um, and I had to look up the name and the story, but uh, there's a joke in Beavis and Butthead where extracurricular characters meet Beavis and Butthead and cannot remember their names, and so they call them different fucking variations. Yeah, of like she calls him Travis and Bob Head, but this <laughs> actually stems from. A 1993 Senate hearing where U.S. Senator Fritz Hollings misidentified them. He was trying to reference the show, and he called them oh, yeah. Buffcoat and Beaver. <laughs> I, rem- I remember that, actually, yeah. <laughs> and I do remember that is, happening. We've got this, uh, what is it, uh, Buffcoat and Beaver or <laughs> Beaver and something else. I haven't seen it. I don't know. I don't watch it. But whatever it is, it was on at 7 o'clock. But this Buffcoat and Beaver, yeah. And they put it on now at 1030, I think. 
yeah, I distinctly remember when those Senate hearings happened too. There, and one of my favorite, favorite, favorite jokes in all of, uh, in all of uh, Beavis and Butthead is like, there's a guy that meets them, and I think he's like talking to the police or something afterwards. He's like trying to identify them. He's like, I don't know. One of them was named like Beaver, and it's like it says like Buttface and Steve or something. when they say their names wrong i don't know why i think that's like endlessly fucking funny but when she says (laughs) travis and bob head like that stems from this senator not knowing their fucking names and i I love that he made that a joke a running joke that that yeah made not only the show but the movie which is genius (laughs) fucking genius Buff coat and beaver is like, I can't even, that's like beyond (laughs) comedy writing. Like the Senator should be on the payroll. (laughs) My life. Um, any, any more quotes? I mean, we could just fucking go on forever, but now we try uh, to just nip it in the bud. uh, I love the one where she's like, is this a goddamn? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's another sly one. I mean, I could, this whole episode could just be fucking beavis and butthead quotes, but. I'll move on unless you have any more. Nope. Okay. Best scene, worst scene. What is the best scene in the movie or your favorite scene? That's another one where it's, it's like the movie's full of them, but I really, I, I wanted to narrow it down to there's one of two, I guess. Again, the whole interaction on the airplane with the old lady. I just love that back and forth the entire plane scene is my best scene yeah that that scene there's also the scene where they're in the what is it like the the museum the natural history museum and there's the the petrified wood (laughs) gag that keeps going (laughs) yeah yeah. the ladies like talking about like how hard it gets and they're like (laughs) losing their mind and then the nuns sneak out the door and get the fuck out of there so they don't have to yeah. be on the bus with him any with them anymore. <laughs> yeah. So I really like that one. I'll uh, um, I'll break the tie if you want, and because I, I said the plane scene too. There's just so much going on in the plane scene. Like his interaction with that old lady is so fucking good, and then Butthead goes back there to try to, to flirt with like the, the stewardess and shit, and then it, it the whole the whole plane scene is my favorite for sure. Yeah. The most jokes. Um, Worst scene. And also, I was. I was going to say oh, sorry, one, real ahead. quick to you, uh, a nod. We already kind of made it, but like uh, to the hallucination scene, just because yes, the animation. Yeah, I'm sorry. I was actually going to say aesthetically, the hallucination scene is the best scene, but from a mm-hmm. comedic standpoint, the plane scene is the funniest scene. If we can make a, like a yeah. delineation. Right. Worst scene. What do you have as the worst scene? I don't know. I didn't really have one, but I think after we discussed it more, probably anything to do with the Clintons, like you were saying. (laughs) I said the White House stuff. The White House stuff is my least favorite by comparison, if that makes sense. Yeah. It it still rules, but it's it's just not as funny as the the rest of the shit. Although there is that gag where they go over the fucking like intercom at the Senate hearing. And they're like, we're looking for the chick with the yeah. big boobs. We're ready to do you now. And then all the senators start laughing. Like he was in butt. That is such a good yeah. gag and insidious like, and foreboding because that, I don't know that. Well, I do know because they're yes, all fucking because shit 
They're all shitlers. <laughs> <laughs> Shitty Because our, our government is just Beavis and Buttheads over and over again. Bumbling fucking morons. Just, yeah. God damn. <laughs> um, the Dumber I Hardly Know Were Award for the most killer performance. Um, I gave it to Robert Stack because he's just okay. bringing it. And he's doing the most work with being, especially this... The straight comedic performance is, is great. I gave it to him. Who did you give it to? That's great. I mean, I just felt like this is another one of those movies where it was kind of the obvious was Mike Judge. But I wanted to also give it to Cloris Leachman for playing the, the old lady because she does a really good job. I'll be goddamned if you should give it to Cloris Leachman. If we're putting this on the books, give it to Cloris because... Yeah. She fucking deserves it. Her shit. Uh, well, I sure took a beating. That, that shit <laughs> puts yeah. beer in my nose every time. <laughs> yeah. So Cloris Leachman. The Michael Rooker Award, uh, which goes to the most evil fucker in the movie. Um, this one goes down to a handful of people. Who did you have? I mean, I guess if I was going to pick, it would have to be either... Bruce Willis or Demi Moore. Yeah, I'm going to I went with Dallas uh just yeah. because even at the end when they ma- they have like makeup sex in the back of the fucking car, she still turns on Muddy. Mm-hmm. Like she she turns yeah. him in like immediately. So she's probably the most evil fucker in the movie. Yeah. I agree. <laughs> <clears throat> okay. The recasting couch. I actually have a very bloated recasting couch. Oh, well, um, go go on with your bad self because I didn't have anything for this. So I didn't there, I didn't personally serve up anything, but this has a rich this movie has a rich history in terms of what could have been, I should say. Yeah. Uh Geffen Pictures acquired the film rights to this in 1993 of with the hopes of making this into a live action movie um with david spade as beavis and adam sandler as butthead (laughs) Um, and mike judge absolutely hated the idea and found that the making of a live action movie was not only sacrilege but obviously super expensive um reportedly rightly so and yeah yeah and good call on his part like that's again i I think a testament to his integrity that he was like no fuck that that's a terrible idea it would have been (laughs) it would have bombed it would have been awful 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 so (laughs) i agree i don't i can't even i can't even imagine it but reportedly the decision was actually the decision to make the film in its final form was the result of a coin toss we yes. were a fucking so we, coin toss away from this being a live action <laughs> movie with David Spade and Adam Sandler. <laughs> oh even, man. Can't even fathom So that. maybe there is some justice in the universe. That's those is the little indications like this. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's true. Yeah. The story's not done there though. The film was then being envisioned uh in a in a later incarnation. Because obviously 1993, when they bought the rights, that was the original, the original idea was David Spade and Adam Sandler. By the time 1996 yeah. rolled around, they were still tossing around this idea of a live action movie. And in 1996, they wanted a Chris Farley and David Spade, Beavis and Butthead. That was the, that was the studio's idea of what, what they wanted with the live action shit. And it's only because of Mike Judge being like, that's a fucking awful idea. And I won't sign off on it. 
that it didn't happen. And this, this yeah, quote unquote awful. coin flip that may or may not have happened. I, who knows? That would also be yeah. the weirdest movie of all time. It gets a lot weirder <laughs> in, in re in years since this movie has come out. Uh, Johnny Depp has expressed interest in wanting to play Beavis with Marlon Brando in the role of Butthead. <laughs> I don't, fuck? I don't even know. <laughs> I just don't know. I, you know. <laughs> Where to even begin with that? Because in 1999, <laughs> they were tossing around this idea of a sequel to this movie. Yeah, um, right. and that they I don't know. I don't know why it keeps rearing its head, but this idea of a live action movie came around, and Johnny Depp got a hold of Mike Judge and with and pitched this idea of playing Beavis with Marlon Brando as Butthead, and I, I kind of want to see that just because it's got to be like, like the worst movie ever made. <laughs> I can't imagine that working. That whole, that whole idea. You know, we we talked about this. You know movie probably being the product of you know the cocaine come down of a lot of these mm-hmm. people but like that mm-hmm. to me that idea is a is a cocaine fueled bizarre disaster <laughs> you know what i mean it's so fucking weird it's so weird <laughs> i just don't even know yeah. Johnny Depp doing the beavis laugh does not like compute in my head at all. Or Marlon Brando playing Butthead, like 50 years older than Beavis. I don't understand how that even makes sense. <laughs> what the fuck? I know. <laughs> I didn't know that Unf- at all. That is so bad shit. It's so bad shit. Unfortunately, as of a 2008 interview, Mike Judge has actually changed his mind and has come around on this idea of embracing a live action version. Haven't heard shit since 2008, but... As of 2008, he's back on board with the live action shit. I don't know why or what changed his mind. Some names that have been tossed around, not from the Mike Judge camp, but Sean William Scott, John Hedder. John Hedder would play a good Beavis. I feel like that's a that's a fucking actually a pretty choice, pretty yeah. choice casting. Um, and Topher yeah. Grace as a Butthead. Those are just some names that have just been tossed around, like in general. Um, Okay. Mike Judge has, has notoriously declined to float any sort of casting picks if there were to be a live action movie. The only thing he suggested was that Beavis was, quote unquote, probably homeless by now, which may indicate that <laughs> Mike Judge wants this uh, a live action Beavis and Butthead to pick up with the characters as adults rather than them as teenagers or or them in the 90s. If that makes sense, like right. them as perpetual teenagers, like still in modern day or them still in the 90s as teenagers. All of that can get flushed down the toilet. I just don't care about it. Yeah. Toilet flush sound right here. In, in, so, yeah, insane <laughs> <engaged>. flushing noise. <laughs> it's so strange. That's my recasting couch. Um, I didn't even do any other work because once that I started is, doing this, I was like, fuck. Yeah, that's a that's a bummer. That's a, that's one of the crazier recasts I've heard. Actually, the, the Johnny Depp Marlon Brando one is so up its own ass. Fucking just where do you even make sense of that? <laughs> it's so Gonzo. So, it really is. <laughs> it's yeah. So 
<laughs> Do we want to segue into the wiki wormhole and uh, wrap this baby up? Yeah, I'm ready. Give it to me. This has got to be a first. Body count, zero. Am I right or am I wrong? I mean, there's implied death from all of the shit that's happened. Like, they they completely sabotage the Hoover Dam and mm-hmm. there's the giant uh, traffic pile up when they jump mm-hmm. out of the back of Muddy's car. But yeah, as far as, I mean, there's no on-screen death whatsoever, so... No on-screen death whatsoever. So a zero on the on-screen death total, which is nuts. Um, That is a first, I think. It is. Robert Stack was so embarrassed to be associated with this movie with this movie and so concerned that the producers of Unsolved Mysteries would fire him for appearing in it that he actually paid a lawyer to have his name removed from the credits, um, (laughs) which offset the cost that he even made from the movie, which he, which this is nuts. He only earned $500 to make this movie to, for his voice role. (laughs) (laughs) But then I heard that he came around to it later, but yeah, initially he wanted to do it. Yeah. After he didn't get fired from unsolved mysteries, I think he's since come around to the idea, but yeah, initially I think he thought, what a fucking mistake. And well, it doesn't matter now because he's dead. He's dead. True, true. Yeah. He can. <laughs> so, <laughs> rot in your grave, Robert Stack, for. Oh, no, ever. no. <laughs> <laughs> for, for sliding this masterpiece of a movie. Fuck. Fuck. I'll allow it. <laughs> That's I'll all right. It. That's all right. In the desert scene where Beavis and Butthead have their hallucinations, the voices that are heard in the background when played backwards <laughs> are actually Beavis and Butthead heard speaking clearly, saying phrases like, everybody go to college, study hard, study hard, <laughs> which is a great little thing. Some, yeah, some, some positive uh, subliminal messages there from Mike Judge. <laughs> <laughs> in the same vein of this, like... Playing your uh, playing your heavy metal records backwards on the turntable. This is uh, this is the DVD commentary in which I learned that Mike Judge confesses that the guitar riff for Beavis and Butthead, the theme song, is ACDC's "Gone Shootin'" played backwards, which is mind blowing if you hear "Gone Shootin'." And aside, is my favorite ACDC record. Power Ridge is my favorite ACDC record by far. And uh, once you hear Gone Shootin', you actually, and know this, you actually can't not hear the Beavis and Butthead theme song. Yeah, it's great. I actually kind of knew that little tidbit well before this, but it was, (laughs) yeah, I loved it. I loved reading about that again. (laughs) I fucking love it. It's, and Gone Shootin' is in this movie. So it's not like (laughs) they used it and then, you know, didn't pay tribute. They paid tribute by having Gone Shootin' as a, as a montage in the movie. Yeah, it's great. Mike judge actually got the, is this a goddamn joke from his grandmother? And when she told him it, he actually didn't find it funny at all. But ironically, (laughs) numerous viewers have told judge since that it's their favorite line in the movie. Yeah, (laughs) it's, it's, it's super like old, old person, dad joke for sure. What a badass grandma though. Cause it still (laughs) rips when he says, this is a goddamn, I lose it. 
<laughs> yeah, because it's one of those jokes that it's one of those jokes that it's so fucking dumb and so rudimentary that it almost like laps back around to being amazing. You know what I mean? <laughs> yes. There's this there's this unspoken rule in comedy that if you do if you have a successful joke and you drive it into the ground and it's super fucking funny when you when you first land it, you can keep driving it into the ground to the point where people stop laughing because they're like <laughs> yeah. almost unnerved that it keeps happening. But if you keep driving it into the ground, people will come back around on the joke and start laughing again because they, yes. at the absurdity of the frequency of the joke. Right. That's, Which, a, that's a comedy thing that's in a lot of movies and TV shows. And, and that's definitely a Beavis and Butthead trait. Yeah, uh, for sure. Like, <laughs> um, one of the many reasons why I love Mr. Show is that is a device that is utilized in Mr. Show uh, to it, par excellence. So, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I love that tactic in general. The Simpsons use it a lot, too. Mm-hmm. And lo and behold, over a 25 minute episode, you're laughing, you're not laughing and you're laughing again. So <laughs> it's it's a good comedy device. It's one of yeah. my favorites. Um, the two dudes that steal uh, Beavis and Butthead's television are actually Ross and Harlan. They appear in the show and they're the ones, um, that rob Stewart's house blind. <laughs> yeah. So they're a callback from an episode. Uh, the whole Bill Clinton thing was based upon his reelection campaign. Basically, they they had two different versions of Butthead meeting Chelsea Clinton. In one, she's folding clothing, and in the other, she's packing her bags. So in the case that he did not get reelected, they wanted to have the version where she's <laughs> packing her bags in it, which is fucking hilarious. But they they yeah. had a contingency for both <laughs> for both scenarios. Uh, so ultimately, her folding clothes was the one they went with. Mm-hmm. Out of the people sitting in the circle. Cert- in the circle when Van Driesen is singing lesbian seagull, which is, <laughs> we didn't touch upon lesbian seagull being a hilarious, uh, fucking Van Driesen song. Um, mm-hmm. Daria is sitting in the group, um, which is a good callback, but also yeah. one of my favorite callbacks and one of my favorite episodes for obvious reasons, there's a group of pats sitting there, positive acting teens. And they have shirts that say, I am a pat. And if anyone is listening to this, can get me a fucking shirt that says I am a Pat because I have been looking for a long time for a positive acting teens shirt. And I tell you, you'd think there would be something somewhere. No, there is not. There is not a, I am a Pat anywhere that I can find. So if anyone with any sort of pull can put together an, I am a Pat t-shirt, I would be forever in your debt. And I would buy 20 of them, but more likely well, one of them. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, buddy, the fact that this has been um, a dream of yours for so long, I will keep it in mind because I don't know if you know this, but my brother owns a screen printing shop. Oh, boy. In Indiana. Oh, in Bloomington. Oh, oh man. <laughs> so, this is really so maybe one of these days me. you might get a surprise. <laughs> Holy shit. If I got an I am a Pat shirt, I would lose my mind. Well, for maybe reasons, for your birthday. Yeah. Maybe God, for your, if damn. you're a good boy. 
Well, um, promise, promise I'm, to be bad. <laughs> if you're a, if you're a good bad boy, <laughs> if you're a good bad boy, go ahead. Uh, what were you gonna say? <laughs> well, I wanted to say I'm I'm glad that you brought up that whole thing because I wanted to also talk about. I don't know about you, but I am like a huge Daria fan. I love that show so much. I never, I watched Daria, but I never got into it. Like obviously on the same level as this. I like that she was in this. Really? And I love her interactions with Beavis and Butthead is great. Cause she's the only one that like puts them in their place throughout the, throughout the show. This is, yeah. a, this is a Daria side. If we want to have a, like a Daria tangent real quick. I viv- this is one of those things like Bernstein Bears Ber- Bernstein Bears what's that fucking called the yeah. Mandela effect the, it's the Mandela effect Mandela and yeah. Nelson, Nelson, Nelson Mandela yeah yeah which this we've talked about this on the podcast before and we had we had the same interaction we just did speaking of Mandela effect where it got mispronounced as Mandala effect, but yes, it's did Mandela we? effect. Did we though? Yes, we or did. Is this just we, us part of the <laughs> effect? All right. Anyway, <laughs> I vividly remember as, as one of my favorite jokes with my brother growing up, and I've texted him, and he remembers this, but I cannot find it anywhere. Is Beavis and Butthead chanting diarrhea, cha cha cha, diarrhea, cha 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 at Daria. And I cannot, this is like a joke that me and my brother forever have been like, diarrhea, cha-cha-cha, diarrhea, cha-cha-cha. It's a thing right. that I was like, this is, how do we both fucking remember this thing? But I cannot look up this joke, this bit. I've, I own every season, every episode. I've watched every fucking episode. I cannot find it. I cannot, I don't even remember seeing it. Is this a joke that you know? Are you familiar with what I'm talking yes, about? Yes, absolutely. 100%. So what the fuck that is, is going on? That is a pretty it. well-known Beavis and Butthead bit is the diarrhea cha-cha-cha. So what the hell? Where? <laughs> I can't find it. I don't know, if man. If you find like a YouTube clip, then just send it to me. I will. I'll find it after we get off. off what off were you going to say about your, di- your, your diarrhea? Your <laughs> <My> diarrhea cha-cha-cha. <laughs> your, your diarrhea tangent. You just liked it, right? Oh, nothing. I just want to say I really love Daria. It's hilarious. And if you get a chance, if you ever ha- have second thoughts, you should go back and, and watch Daria because it's it's a really, really great show. It's super funny. I just went on YouTube and I found Beavis and Butthead Diarrhea Cha-Cha-Cha 10 minutes. So, okay. Whatever. <laughs> maybe maybe, maybe you just didn't spell diarrhea. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, either yeah. that or, like I said, YouTube was in its infancy and this kind of shit was not uploaded. Um, okay, well, that's not the Man- Mandela effect. That's just the fucking my dumbass effect. <laughs> <laughs> the dumbassella. I'm a pad effect. Positive acting <laughs> teens effect. To round, to round this out, this movie is banned in Malaysia due to strong sexual content, crude humor, and violence. Surprised that it's not banned in other places. Well, and, I know. It's like, wow, Malaysia, you really got to stick up your ass. Yeah, come on, Malaysia. This is ridiculous. <laughs> For real. The yeah. piece de resistance, a sequel was recently announced for Paramount Plus, which would mark the 25th anniversary of this movie. And it is fucking happening. They are doing a Beavis and Butthead sequel movie. It's not live action. 
It's coming out supposedly this year. And two new seasons. Yeah, it has to happen this year because this is the 25th anniversary of the movie. Mm -hmm. And two seasons of Beavis and Butthead are set to air on Comedy Central this year as well. So this is a perfect podcast because it's the revival of of Beavis and Butthead. Here we go. We're going to do it. This is if it if it wasn't for sure going to happen, we are setting it in motion. Yes, absolutely. I'm I could not be more stoked. And um, I think both of us more you more than me are more skeptical. I know that they're going to knock it out of the park. I like I feel confident that Mike Judge will do us uh, do us justice and make a really fucking great movie. Whereas normally I'd be skeptical I'm stoked. And the revival, they had one revival season of Beavis and Butthead after the fact in like 2009 or something. Yeah. And instead of watching music videos, they were watching like Jersey Shore and like all the shit that is on MTV now because MTV doesn't play music videos anymore, obviously. Mm -hmm. And it was just as funny as I ever remember it. My wife and I, Aaron and I loved that revival shit. And was so sad to see it not last very long. So I'm stoked for a third revival. And I'm stoked for this movie. And I'm stoked to actually get back into a fucking movie theater if that's possible. Although this sounds like a Paramount Plus exclusive thing that can go fuck itself. But everything else about it I'm excited <laughs> about. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm definitely the more skeptical of the two uh, when it comes to this. But if anybody can pull it off, it is Mike Judge. Because... He's been pretty consistent. Even even his sleeper hit stuff, like, ex, what is it, Extraction? I like a lot. Extract. Right? I really like ex, Extract. So, you know, I'm behind him on it. We'll, we'll you know, I'm, 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 I'm positive that it will at least be somewhat entertaining. It won't be a total flop like some things, like the Dumb and Dumber 2 <laughs> sequel. My you Atlanta. Know. I saw that in theaters. And, so uh, did I. Uh, wish I wish I just, just did anything else. Brain. Yeah, and like <laughs> Tales from the Tour Bus is 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 highly successful. Like his most recent project, I guess I would call mm-hmm. it. Um, of all those tour tour stories uh, yeah. from various musicians, it's it's super tight. So you know he's constantly dabbling in cool shit. Uh, yeah, it's, it gives me hope. Do you have anything yeah. to add to this wiki wormhole? Um, let me see. I, I think you pretty much hit everything that I was going to hit. Um, yeah, you, you pretty much got it all. Good job, my well, friend. Thank you. Let's, let's rate this, uh, bad boy. And, um, we have to come up with an iconography, uh, that's specific to this episode. Um, I was surprisingly, uh, at a loss for not, I have some ideas, but none of them struck me as like really that funny. I had out of five goddamns, I had out of five bungholes, I had out of five <laughs> nacho platters. Um, nachos don't even appear in this movie. Do you have anything better? I hope out of five petrified woods. No, oh, <laughs> you're coming through. <laughs> you're coming through tonight. Yeah, out of five petrified woods. Um, what do you give this? I gave it a four. I gave it a, and I rarely do this, uh, a four and a half. I don't do the half very often. It's, 
not quite a five. Right. It's not quite a four. It's damn near perfect. I'm going to give it a four and a half out of five it's, petrified woods. It's a, it's a, it's a halfy. That's <laughs> a, it's a four and a halfy. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> yeah. You I would have given it a four and a half happy. too, but I knew you were, <laughs> yeah, you were, I know you tried to stay clear of the half one. So well, let's just say we're in agreement. It's a four. It's a, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's a four and a half. <laughs> <laughs> We, I feel like we're fucking dumb and we keep, we have skipped this midnight. Where does this rank on the midnight clock? I feel like we may have skipped this the last two times. Do we want to get back no, on track? I thought, or do we want I thought to bury we did that it. forever? I feel like we've done it. No, I think you're having a Mandela effect. The Fuck Mandela's me. effect in yellow. Diarrhea. Cha, too cha, much. Cha. Where does this <laughs> land on the midnight clock? Uh, huh. I don't know. I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna agree with that that stupid ass senator and just say ten o'clock. He's like, you used to air at seven, but now it's at ten. It's a ten o'clock. Yeah, I was gonna. I, was, I had that same to, thought. To when ten uh, o'clock? Yeah. And to pay homage to when I would be woken up in the middle of the night to go watch this, it would be about ten o'clock. So, and that's about when I watched it last night too. I watched it at an ungodly hour. I think I started at like two. <laughs> That's just where I was at the night. Um, okay. With a, with a cold nacho platter. I had, I made like impossible burgers and it just took me fucking forever. I don't, I don't remember what the situation, I don't know why it took me so long. I crafted the perfect impossible burger. And by the time I was done, it was some ungodly hour. And I was like, I might as well bang this, bang this movie out. I had a great time. What is on the next episode? Your, your choice this time. Okay. So I was feeling like I was going to have trouble picking this week because I have such a extensive list of things. And there were so many things that I was like really excited about talking about, but as chance would happen, it, I got inspired, like lightning, and struck me because I saw somebody on Instagram posting about movies that they liked. They had a stack of VHS tapes that were some of their favorites, and in that stack, I saw one that just I had on my list, been wanting to talk about for a while, and also will be good because we don't talk a lot about sci-fi, and that's one thing for this season that we're we're trying to kind of hit all the marks we're trying to make sure we're trying to make sure that we're not just kind of stay in this cluster of like horror thrillers type of stuff so for the next episode and i don't think you've seen this this is another one where i'm gonna throw it at you but i don't know maybe you have so we're gonna do a sci-fi one a dystopian gritty cyberpunk sci-fi movie from the nineties, so we're sticking in the in the nineties. I think it's from the nineties. But next week we're gonna watch hardware. I have seen hardware. I love hardware. You have seen hardware. So yes. Richard Stanley's hardware. Yeah. Hardware. Yeah. Hardware fucks. Yeah. That's that's, <laughs> that's a that's an excellent uh I haven't seen it in a in a minute, but um yeah. I remember it being yeah, I remember liking it a lot. Like, yeah. uh, like, is Iggy Pop in? Like, Iggy Pop has cameo in it. Iggy Pop and Lemmy. 
and Carl McCoy from Fields and Nephilim. So it's it's chock full of all kinds of rocker cameos. Damn, I don't. I this is how long I've seen it. I'd actually I remember the Iggy Pop cameo. I didn't even I don't for whatever reason. This will be like I've seen it for the first time because it's one of those movies I probably saw years and years ago for the first time, and I vividly remember Iggy Pop because. I just Iggy Pop is in my <laughs> collective purview and shit. Like he's in Star Trek and stuff, and so mm-hmm. I'm I'm always cognizant of when he's in stuff. I'm always like, "Ooh, Iggy Pop!" Yeah, but yeah, that makes sense. I don't even remember the Lemmy stuff. I'm excited to revisit it. It'll it'll be like I've seen it for the first time. Hell yeah! So I, yeah, I'm stoked to talk about hardware next time. Deep dive into midnight movie magic. <laughs> magic? Did you say midnight movie magic? <laughs> no, I was good. I stopped myself. I was like, should I do this as butthead, like on the <laughs> outro? But that would be fucking annoying. Um, <laughs> I don't even know if it's possible. <laughs> this has been another deep dive into midnight movie madness. Big thanks to Charlotte Blythe for providing our intro music. Our outro music is brought to you by. Was it Shrink Wrap Killers? Yes, Shrink Wrap Killers. Fuck me. This has been another deep dive into Midnight Movie Madness. Big thanks to Charlotte Blythe for providing our intro music. Our outro music is brought to you by Shrink Wrap Killers. If you're a band looking to submit a song or a listener looking to submit a question, feel free to shoot us an email at midnightflixpod at gmail.com or hit us up on Instagram at midnightflixpod. Flix spelled F-L-I-X. For Adam Walker, I'm Pat Mitchell. See you on the other side. Bong holes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, on the other side of my anus. You said half. Halfy. <laughs> you said <All> podcast. Right. <laughs> Doesn't even make sense. That's not negative.